Welcome, and thank you for tuning into Organon, the official podcast of Ology Research Group, exploring contemporary social issues via data, insights, and change. On this episode, it's a special edition. It's just me, Carl Etemendi, recording from the very sunny and very hot Key West, while, uh, as you know, my wife, Jasmine, hangs out by the pool, and uh, she's too busy getting a tan right now. We were actually uh, witnessing something, and Jasmine and I had a conversation about it, and we were looking around Key West, and one thing that we noticed right off the bat was that most of the people who were vacationing in Key West were much, much older than we were. Um, It could be a seasonality thing, who knows. And another thing that we noticed was that there were no, or there were extremely few people who look like us and of course I'm talking about race we didn't really see a lot of people of color out there in QS vacationing so this led us to have a very fruitful conversation about um, just retirement planning in general and having conversations about why we think um, people who are our age don't think about retirement and you know job hop job hopping while it's good on the one hand Um, You know, the negative part of it is that you also, for example, don't really fully get vested in a place. So I wanted to tap into my uh, finance background and just have a real casual conversation with our listeners about the importance of certain type of uh, investments. And I'm not talking about trading in the stock market, although, you know, I do dabble in there with Robinhood and I don't think that, you know, with a hundred bucks, you'll get um, rich off of Robinhood. And, you know, if you're into trading stocks, that's great for you. Uh, it does take some time to master. You're not going to make a whole lot of money unless you put a lot of, a whole lot of money into it. But what I'm talking about here in this episode in particular is the type of investments that uh, equate to retirement. I came across a pretty uh, interesting article a couple days ago um, for, that I found on LinkedIn, and it's uh, it's called Millennial Millionaires, Perhaps Not. And it says, and I'm reading right off of the article, more than half of U.S. millennials surveyed by TD Ameritrade say that they'll be millionaires someday, and 20% of them think they'll hit a million-dollar mark by the age of 40. They may be in for a rude awakening, according to a new paper from Brookings. Median household wealth for the generation in 2016 was 25% lower than those who were the similar age back in 2007. Growing up in the aftermath of the financial crisis has reduced millennials' long-term earning potential and ballooning student debt has not helped matters. And then, of course, and now I'm, I'm not reading off of it anymore, there's also uh, threats to um, one thing that I know a lot of student borrowers such as myself, are looking forward to, which is called the Student Loan Forgiveness Program, which is where if you work for a nonprofit organization or in the government, that after making consistent payments um, for 10 years, you get the rest of your student loan discharge. And I know that outside of that program, the traditional payments are like 20 years or 25 years or something like that. Now, um, This also led me to start thinking about retirement in general. And I don't believe that millennials or, you know, a lot of the workforce right now is thinking about retirement investments. So I wanted to take a moment and just talk about uh, just a couple of retirement investments. And then I also want to give a tip um, that I used 
um, in my personal household that has worked wonderfully. Um, it might work well for you if you try to get your finances in order. If you're, you know, if you find yourself struggling, or maybe that you're spending a lot of money in places that you shouldn't. So I will give you two tips. One of them is called um, one of them is the the, the uh, partner formula, and another one is called scraping. First, I want to talk about the different type of retirements. Um, and just speaking from experience, from some of my employers, um, I had what's called the 401k and the 403b um, type of investments. Now, um, those type of retirement accounts, um, in the, these type of retirement accounts, what happens every time you get paid is that your employer will sometimes put in a certain amount into your retirement account, and sometimes you'll pay a percentage also. So a lot of times you'll hear that employers say that they'll do matching up to a certain percent. So my recommendation to you is try to really take advantage of that matching as much as you can. Um, some employers will match you up to like six or eight percent, which is great. That means that for every dollar, uh, for every, um, for for every, I guess the way that I can explain it is that they'll match you up to eight percent of you know of whatever it is that you're that you're putting in to your retirement account. So aside from that there's this thing called being fully vested in the program so your employer puts in a great a greater proportion let's say that they put in 75 percent of whatever constitutes your 401k or your 403b uh, retirement account and that you're contributing about 25 percent of it so 100 percent is up in the cloud in this mystery account that you don't have access to that you you can't really track over time now um what ends up happening is that if you leave that employer before a certain amount of time, you actually don't have access to that 75% of monies that your employer put in. Some employers say that you're fully vested after three years. Some say after two years. Some do it at five or ten. Um, in my case, when, when I used to work uh, in South Florida for a university, being fully vested meant being, working there for three years. Now, I'll tell you why this was very helpful for me. I matched it as much as I could. Uh, I believe at the time the employer was matching 6%. So I put in every um, as much as I possibly could. The employer matched me uh, up to 6%. They also contributed. So I, you know, I literally followed my 403B and 401K. They were offering both at the time. I don't know why. But they were. Um, I, I saw them grow incrementally over time. Now, what ended up happening was that when I got a job in New York City, I didn't have any money in my checking or savings account in order to move. Now, since I had worked for that employer for longer than three years, I was fully vested in the program, which meant that I was entitled to the 75% of the entire portfolio that my employer just put in. Now, I know that a lot of times if you look for um, investment advice, or I'm pretty sure Susie Orman would have scolded me for this, but um, if you withdraw from a retirement account early, early being before you're in your 60s, then there's a penalty. So first, you have to pay uh, like 10% to the IRS, 10% to the, to the investment company, um, then, then it's taxable income, so then you have to worry about that also. But it ended up working out for me because I didn't have any cash to um, pay for um, the move. 
um, from Florida to New York. So that was actually enough money for me to cancel my lease. Um, it was several thousand dollars. So it wasn't, it was just enough to cancel my lease. Um, it was enough for uh, my wife and I to fix a couple things here and there that were, that were needed with the car that we had for us to rent a U-Haul, to hire a, hire, uh, a moving company, to buy all the supplies that we needed for the move, to put a security deposit in the place that we were moving to up north, um, and also for some cash uh, that that you know that kind of uh, kept us afloat for several months while uh, my wife looked for employment. Now, had I left that employer before the three years, I wouldn't be entitled to those seventy-five percent. So I would only be entitled to whatever it was that I put in. So if you if your companies or your employers has that benefit of um, where they they contribute to your investment account try to make sure that you understand and that you find out as soon as possible um, how long it takes for you to be fully vested in the program or to be fully vested in your fund because then that way if there's some sort of emergency or you know god forbid anything happens you're entitled to that money 100 percent yes you're gonna have to pay penalties on it um, if you're listening to this podcast who knows you're probably not a millionaire and you can't probably you probably won't be able to bail yourself out of uh, some sort of financial issue but you know really take advantage of that there's other employers particularly city government uh, employers that do pensions pensions are different from 401ks and 403bs because of where the money comes from um, in many cases what you'll notice uh, in depending on what what city state you work for or if you're in the fed in, in federal government you, um, a lot of times the pension funds are funded through um, city um, city bonds, right? Let's just say that. Let's say you work for a city, your uh, pen the pensions that are paid from the government are funded through bonds. Bonds are instruments that that often um, it promise a guaranteed investment. But that's not something that you really have to worry about. It's more it, it's more for the city to worry about. And usually you'll see, um, you know, very wealthy people or uh, investment firms purchasing bonds because they give you a steady return. So, you know, back when I was in finance school, they'd say, you know, that you can get maybe like a 3% yield on a $1,000 bond. So if you buy a bond for a thousand dollars after like 10 years let's say or five years or, or however long the bond matures you'll get your money back plus interest so usually these investments require a lot of money um so not you know not something that you'll be able to purchase with a hundred bucks but um the pension fund is different because um, a lot of times they will the city will or the state or whatever government entity you work for or union you work for let's say will offer the pension and pension is guaranteed uh, in uh, guaranteed income for life basically so let's say that you work for the city of I don't know of Tamarack in Florida I'm just picking a, a city let's say that you're a government employee in the city of Tamarack in Florida and their pension says you have to work here for 10 years and let's say that you work there for 10 years, then after that 10th year, you are fully vested in their program. And fully vested in their program means that you are entitled to 100% of that income that you uh, left service at. However, there's a caveat that you cannot 
um, get all of it until you are usually the age of 63, 64, something like that, or 62 and a half. It's in the 60, in the lower 60s. So um, if you want to retire earlier than 60, sometimes some employers will let you do that and they have it arranged where you can retire at like 55, but have like a 50% of your salary for the rest of your life. Or if you retire at like 57, 58, 59, it's like 62, 63, 64% of your salary at the time uh, that you departed service for the rest of your life. So that's great because it gives you a steady income forever. So from my, my perspective, the pensions are always the best kind of investment because there's no exposure to the market. 401ks are often driven by the stock market. So a lot of people, they're in the financial crisis, lost a ton of money. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying that 401ks are bad, but, you know, just be mindful when you're making selections that you um, really take advantage mostly, mo uh, mostly take advantage of how much money your employer will put in to that 401k and that you aren't risking the money, the, your hard-earned money into something that's too volatile or too risky um, for you, um, you know, so because you want to make sure that you have a enough money for an emergency, and b enough money for retirement. And it's really sad to see so many so many millennials and people like in their late twenties and in their early thirties not thinking about retirement. And I know that you know there's this whole push to like you know be your own boss, for example, or to like move around from company to company. But what actually happens when you do that is that you're never really giving yourself the opportunity to build wealth in a certain way. There are certain type of investments like Roth IRAs, which are um, retirement accounts that you can roll over from employer to employer. So make sure that you all, you're also in the lookout for those. Now, that's enough of my, um, my spiel about uh, pensions and 401ks and 403bs and whatnot. Um, and I also just want to make that observation that, you know, it, that I'm really hoping that that millennials can climb out of the, the debt hole that they, you know, that they got themselves in, that we all got ourselves into and uh, that we can take advantage of our employers and try to really have like a, a you know, ensure that we can have a prosperous, um, you know, uh, prosperous uh, 50s and 60s and 70s and thereafter. So um, now. Moving on to um, my two tips. There's one thing that I did that was a strategy that I developed when I started working called scraping. And basically what this means is that I take, or, or that I used to take because I don't really do it much anymore, I take the money that I make from um, you know from my paycheck for example and I, I like setting aside money in half so uh, or I like looking at my uh, like my monthly bills and setting aside money in half so if my cell phone bill is $90 a month for example I see that and I calculate it as $45 per paycheck so I know that every time I get paid I need to set aside $45 for that bill now um, every time I get paid I'll go ahead and pay my bills and, and try the best that I can to kind of just clear that out so that I don't, um, you know, roll with any um, bills that remain unpaid from month to month. And whatever's left over in the bank account, I scrape it from my checking to my savings account. I do that because it's harder to get money from the savings account and there's additional steps involved. 
And a lot of times you'll notice that if there's money in the savings account, you don't touch it for the most part. If it's in the checking account, if you have cash in your pocket, you're more likely to spend it. So I try to do that sort of kind of like intentional deprivation. And I try to make sure that I don't have cash on hand or, you know, sometimes it kicks me in the butt, but um, I don't have a whole lot of money in my checking account. And by scraping money over into my savings account, I've been able to, over time, um, you know, increase my uh, level of savings. And that's been great because I've had certain emergencies over, you know, the last decade or so where I've had to tap into my savings to pay for things. Um, and this was especially helpful when we were doing things kind of like, um, you know, planning for our wedding, for instance, where we had to be a little bit more frugal and try to save up as much as we could to have the wedding that we wanted to have. The second tip that I want to give is mostly for um, people who are in a relationship. So if you're married, if you have a boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other, um, partner altogether, or even a roommate, or some, you know, if you have like a committed friend that you're living with and sharing expenses with, I have a formula that I want to share for those of you who are um, in households that have more than one income. So I'm talking about like, you know, mainly for couples. And the formula is this. If you look at how much money you make and how much money your partner makes, the total, the to add that up, okay? Now, and then also look at how much uh, money your partner makes and how much you make. The formula that I have is this. Your total expenses, so if you add up all of your bills and everything that you owe in any given month, should never exceed, or you should try to make it never exceed, the income of the lowest earner in the household. What does this mean, Carl? I'll tell you what it means. If you make, let's say, $45,000 a year, but your partner makes $39,000 a year, make sure that when you look at how much of the, um, how, how much your bills are every month, or you can even do it throughout the whole year, that it does not equal to or that it equals to or is less than the the um, lowest earner in the household why does this matter so in that case it would be thirty nine thousand why does this matter this matters because um, money can sometimes be a significant stressor in a relationship and a lot of times if you look at statistics on why people get divorced to begin with it's almost always about money and I'm very happy to say that at least in, in my relationship, have, I have never, ever had to fight about money. And that's because of my formula. So the total expenses should be equal to or less than the total income of the lowest earner. You know, jobs are hard to come by. And if one person uh, loses their income, the other person can always hold down the fort. And it also puts the couple in a situation where you don't, um, you know, one person is not overpowering the other, for example. And then another thing that you can do is um, instead of splitting bills, especially if you and your partner make a, a very different amount of money, like let's say you make 29000 and your partner makes 60000 you know, it's a pretty big gap. You, you calculate your shared expenses and you split it. So, you know, if you know that I'll give you an easier number let's say that um, that you make 40,000 and your partner makes 60,000 you make 40% of the, the household income and your partner makes 60% of the household income 
So therefore, when it comes to shared expenses like rent, you should pay for 40% of that and your partner should pay for 60% of that. And if you do it that way in as a proportion, you'll start to notice that the two of you uh, will start to have a little bit more savings because it's if you split it 50-50 and you're the lowest earner, you're not going to ever have any savings because you're going to be spending all of your discretionary income on expenses that you can afford a little less than your partner can. You see what I mean? So um, if you do that, you'll be able to hold down the forward. If one of you hate your job, you can resign and then you can, um, you know, the other person can take care of all the expenses until the other person gets back up on their feet. So it's just a tip that I wanted to share. Um, those two financial tips, the scraping from the checking to the savings account uh, to try to minimize the amount of money that you have access to uh, readily. Um, you know, in, in this recording, I also talked a little bit about um, what it means to be fully vested in a retirement account from your employer. Um, and also um, this little formula that I have for couples out there who are living together and uh, splitting expenses. So I hope this recording was helpful in, in terms of doing that, this little special edition of the um, Ology podcast here. And, um, you know, just wanted to talk about finances and young people who are working professionals, especially considering the fact that, you know, based on our observations of this trip, where we would imagine, um, you know, it, it, to us, it seems like anybody can, you know, that Key West is like within reach to everybody, you know, that it's, um, it's not. And, um, you know, I wanted to be able to um, just share some financial tips, put some knowledge out there and hope that it's helpful to you. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, uh, as you know, as it relates to this, or if you want to share some tips that you have regarding, um, you know, how you, um, what saving strategies you have, or if you have any tips, or if you just have any feedback for some of the tips that I shared today, please feel free to reach out at infoologyresearchgroup.org. And I'm here uh, recording from Key West. This is Carl. I hope this has been helpful. Please make sure to check out our website, ologyresearchgroup.org, to learn about our awesome services for individuals and for organizations. And uh, if you want to be on the on the show, please feel free to, to send us an email, info at ologyresearchgroup.org. And if you want to donate to our cause, Ology is a 501c3 tax-exempt IRS uh, nonprofit, so all donations are tax-deductible. Until next time.